We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning this thing on see now i'm getting mad because it's getting ready to be on i want my whiskey to bite me a little bit this is the kind of psychopath that i hang out with i got beat up outside of a denny's the rock pile report with buffalo bills season ticket holder drew gear he likes to get in the ex's nose something i can't do with this podcast because i drink too much chris krueger my rollerblading blonde mohawk producer the pettiest hardest drinking Bill's Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And this is your Week 12 preview, the Buffalo Bills versus the New Orleans Saints. Your time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard, or is it 8.20? Second one, 8.20. 8.20. Place, Mercedes-Benz Dome, New Orleans, Louisiana. The old Superdome. The weather, well, it's not a dome. It doesn't much matter. The line, the Bills are what? I've, I've seen conflicting reports. Some places have them as a four and a half point. I've seen him as much as a six point. A lot of I think this hinges on Elvin Kamara's health. That makes sense. What do you have, Chris? I'm pulling up the Yahoo Sports app. Okay. While you do that, on the crew, Brad Allen. Minus four. Ah, the Bills minus four. Now, Brad Allen's going to officiate this game, who's a guy I feel like I remember questioning his existence at some point. So that'll be something to watch. And who do we have on the call, Chris? How often do we talk about national national games like this where the slander from the broadcast is so heavy to one side that it affects the game. Okay. We we, we do, especially on primetime. Mike Tirico and Drew Brees is the analyst. Oh, Jesus Christ. Come on! What a mess. 
I I just feel like it's going to be just such a, a, such a Saints heavy broadcast on Thursday night. Which Chris, you know my feelings on that. Yeah, I've told Chris usually when the broadcast is focused on one team, that team wins the game. Yeah, and right now that's what it's looking like. If you're putting if NBC is putting Drew Brees, his first ever time as an analyst, I think for a, uh, a pro game. I think he might do some stuff with uh, NBC and Notre Dame games. Great, I could, I could be wrong. Great, I'm sure. God, this makes me want to win that much more. This makes me want to just oh, just have a Dallas experience on Thanksgiving again, just so that Drew Brees can roll around in it can just revel in it and just appreciate like like just so he can experience what it is to suffer in the booth watching his team take it in the teeth thanksgiving football ladies and gentlemen is there anything better chris there's been a lot of thanksgiving slander this year on social media i don't outrightly understand it what's your take on the holiday itself i love thanksgiving i like it more than christmas it's probably number one holiday in my book okay because Why? All because all it involves is football, eating, and drinking. Thank you. And then you also, depending on, uh, I know I did this last year. I had uh, Thanksgiving with my girlfriend, and we went to her dad's. And so let's see, last November we were dating four months probably. Okay. And I just planted a political seed at the table. And I just watched it grow and grow until it exploded. And I, I was sitting there. I was sitting at the dinner table like Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights going, it's, turn up the heat. Turn up the heat. I love it. No, you have no idea. Like that That to me. I just threw a little seed and and it worked. We were laughing. We were laughing last. I think it was Christmas because my brothers, uh, mind you, my family, my brothers, salt of the earth. You know what I mean? Like we're we're all North Collins, but like Troy, we don't see him much. He's more of a. uh, Are you more? He's more of a millennial type. Are you more Thanksgiving or Christmas? Oh, I'm absolutely Thanksgiving. But so in that way. Luke made the joke earlier in the day. He was like, oh, give Drew give Drew a couple more drinks. He'll tell you everything he likes about the Second Amendment. Sure enough, about 9 o'clock, I don't even know why. It just came out of my mouth. I was like, yeah, from my cold, dead hands. Until, oh, no. And they both, both my dad and my brother just started laughing. They were like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll take Thanksgiving over Christmas based on the three reasons that I laid out, drinking, football, and eating. But also, for you eating... No utensils. You just use your hands. Well, that's 100%. You've seen the photos. Here's the thing. There's three days on the Gregorian calendar that I'm guaranteed to be my friendliest and most good-natured. Christmas Day, my birthday, even though I don't acknowledge it and I'll never tell anybody when it is, and Thanksgiving. And here's why. It's realistically the perfect holiday. There's none of the hassle of shopping and gift-giving just for the sake of giving people gifts. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, if like you get a gift for somebody else, and then they give you a a gift, and you clearly did better at the gift. Oh yeah, what no, they, it becomes a problem. Yeah, and then your friendship ends. It becomes a real problem when you think about 
how that's supposed to happen and how, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, you have a day. There's no gift giving involved. You're surrounded by your friends and family. You've got s- some dishes that honestly just feel wrong most other times of the year, like real homemade stuffing with sausage. And my favorite, the cornbread pudding, like those, those are two things you can't eat most other times of the year, but you get them on Thanksgiving and it makes it all worthwhile. What's your favorite food on Thanksgiving? Uh, The basics, turkey, stuffing. I mean, I I have white or dark meat. It doesn't matter. I generally. No, it does matter. Oh, it matters. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. Dark meat is the only acceptable meat. White meat turkey is so dry. You might as well just go get turkey breast at the deli. It's better than anything. Oh. The the drumsticks and the wings off that turkey and the thighs. I'll fight another human being in the kitchen for them. Which is weird because there's so many other people who don't agree. Nah, just give me stuffing, the turkey. I mean, a lot. I know a lot of people have debated on Twitter recently whether or not Mac and cheese is a side dish to Thanksgiving. I don't want to see mac and cheese at Thanksgiving. I mean, well, there's it, already enough carbs it, with the stuffing and everything. It else. is. It is in the South. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, obviously, in the South, they deep fry a raccoon and throw it on the table and tell you that it's that part of Thanksgiving. I mean, it, sorry guys. I know a lot of our listeners in the South just got mad at me. Listen, it's gonna be okay. Is that, how, is how about this pie? Apple pie. But just pie in general. Just apple pie. Pie is something that most people will tell you that they eat every day. And yet, it's a dessert that rarely seems around outside of the holidays, right? Correct. Okay. Christmas is cheesecake. Easter is like a banana pudding or something that's a little more springy. But Thanksgiving is all about pie. Pumpkin pie. Chocolate coconut pie. uh, Just a straight chocolate pie. I know that's what my mom makes for me. Apple pie. That's it. Take all their pies and throw them away. I I want a pistachio pudding pie. No, no, no. Throw that away. Oh, yeah. Get that beast rolling. I love it. And then our annual dispute before dinner over the fact that now this may be a Thanksgiving hot take. Canned cranberry sauce is better than homemade. And that's a hill that I'm willing to absolutely die on. Chris, from the can, homemade or not at all, where do you fall on cranberry sauce? Well, you take cranberry sauce and put it where it belongs, in the garbage. It's also a day where I never have to work afterwards. Filled with too much food, too many old fashions, and as a bonus, about 12 hours of football. Typically, there's a str- it's just a stress-free 12 hours where I can just stuff myself and then belly up in a recliner with a cocktail and hate watching heckle other teams because that's who I am as a person. That's how I, it's how I choose to live, how I choose to watch sports. I was going to ask you this because I hate that you, I hate that you have become, I guess, good friends with Iman, who's like a master. I I view him as a master griller. Yes. So, oh no, he proved it this weekend. And you, well, you, I, for tailgates the last season that we had fans and I could go. I mean, you're pretty decent at the grill and i just don't like probably the same way that brett coleman and i have kind of connected with cocktails and i make some mean cocktails now i don't like that he's influenced you in cooking so now you're better at that <laughs> I, I don't, you like, don't that. like that i'm growing yeah. as a human yeah so i was gonna ask, what do you how are you doing your turkey well this is it i'm not doing the turkey that's a baller move 
hopefully, depending on my brother's COVID test, we're going over there for Thanksgiving dinner and my mom's cooking this turkey in her old fashioned on the on the countertop roaster pan because it leaves the oven open for sides. Is that, that like is that like a like a Ronco? Yeah, kind of. Set it and forget it. So <laughs> otherwise, if if it turns out that plan falls through, my wife's family's out of town, so you know what that means? We're deep frying turkey at the gear house. Frozen? I hope it's frozen. I hope it listen. What you think I won't walk on the wild side? Come on now. <laughs> Uh, this is it. For the second time in three years, the NFL schedules have decided that my friends and my family simply don't deserve any kind of peace. Now, this Thanksgiving, it's going to be anarchy. Anarchy! 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 I don't even know what that means, but I love it. It's weird. The Bills throughout my life haven't been a Thanksgiving AFC team. And that makes sense, because considering until 2019, it hadn't happened since 1994. And all I remember of that game is my Uncle Brad yelling at the TV, asking if Jerry Ostrowski was strung out. I will, I will never forget that phrase. I can't wait to talk to Jerry Ostrowski about that. Like, I'm, we're going to have him on the show at some point here soon. And I'm going to pick his brain at that moment. But the reality is, is that I saw them play on Thanksgiving once in my entire life until 2019, and now it's happened twice in three years. In my experience, this honor of playing on Thanksgiving was always reserved for teams like the Broncos, the Ravens, the Steelers, you know, the, the classes of the conference, the guys who are always at the top of their divisions, and they've given that honor to the Buffalo Bills here in 2021. It's weird to think that that's how we're perceived now, right? Well, as you get better, then uh, you get that primetime game on Thanksgiving. So with our bellies filled with meat and our glasses full of bourbon, we're going to settle in and watch the Bills take on the Saints in what I'm now referring to as the Feels Bad Bowl, considering the state of both of our franchises. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so with that in mind, we have our very first Saints guest ever to help us prepare for what feels like, I don't know, maybe the end. Like, it seems premature to say this here in like week, what, Chris, week 11, week 12, like when you're at this point of a season. But what feels like the end of the line for both of our football teams Andrew Juge of Saints Happy Hour. How are you, man? 
Well, guys, it's uh, interesting timing. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, I have to say this Taysom Hill news, uh, he, he just got a new contract. I thought I thought I got got for a second there by uh, some of the, you know, the Adarn Shefters or some, some of the fake <laughs> accounts of the world. But, no, this Taysom Hill contract is new, and I know we're supposed to talk about him today, so uh, perfect timing. Oh, God. It's, and you know what? Uh, Mark Schofield, the, the, you know, the immortal Mark Schofield, has a, has a rule to constantly talk about it, if you, especially during free agency season, that if you get got and you retweet a fake account, you just have to log off for the rest of the day. Those are the rules. He, we, we don't write them. We just got to play by them. And that, yeah. And I, see, I, I'm aware of that rule. I, I abide by that rule. And so I, that's where you look at the tweet. And the first thing you do is okay. You look at the account, make sure that it's got the blue check mark that it's verified. Then you look at the letters, make sure everything's in place, and then you look at the date because a lot of times I get fooled by a retweet that was from like seven years ago, right? So. I must have looked at this tweet seven times to make sure it was legit. <laughs> See, at least you do your due diligence. Now, for our <laughs> listeners, he's a longtime Saints podcaster, co-host of the first Saints podcast I've ever listened to that I felt kind of matched our vibe. Yeah, considering, of course, we hold the mantle as the hardest drinking, pettiest Bills podcast. And they, st- you guys kind of do content the way we do. Although, a couple times a week, you guys have a couple releases. But also, you guys stream live on Twitch, which is something I've, I've watched your live shows, and I think that they're a lot of fun. Chris, how how chaotic. Like you, I've done TV. I've done... You know, we've done live streams for the draft with various outlets, whether it be the guys over Rock Sports Network or Cover One, what have you. I've never watched anything on Twitch. And so how much chaos would it be if we tried to do this show live with no editing? Well, we tried it once and I failed. <laughs> yeah, no, I have, well, a lot, I, have to- I have a lot of respect for what you guys are doing over there because that's got to be hard. It's yeah, it's interesting. I'll tell you, it's an adventure, uh, and I appreciate the kind words, man. Um, you know, it's one of those things where we hired a producer uh, who's great. His name is Thomas, and he lives in Poland. Uh, he's a huge Saints fan. Don't ask me how that happened, but he's uh, committed to our podcast and uh, has just been tremendous for us. And so he knows how to kind of handle all that stuff. And he put us on Twitch, and he runs the show, and he tells us where to go and how to record and do all that stuff. So. I got to be honest. I don't. I didn't even know Twitch or ever get on it uh, right up until our first episode, pretty much. Uh, but surprisingly, for the most part, it goes smoothly. Well, I, I mean, and that's that's really all you can ask for, right? So, as we launch into this conversation, since you're a drinking man and you, know, you guys do a drinking podcast, what is your drink of choice when it comes to watching a football game? And what's your take on watching your team play on Thanksgiving? So I'm more of a beer and wine kind of guy, not as much liquor. Uh, but I will say the Saints, especially recently, will push me to bourbon. So, uh, you know, if I'm going to do liquor, uh, it's usually during a Saints game and it's usually bourbon. Uh, so, you know, that's where I'm at with that. But, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, it's interesting. So first of all, I got a bone to pick with the NFL about uh, my child was born on Halloween. And so to have a 430 kickoff on Halloween uh, is just about uh, the biggest sabotage of my family that the NFL could do. So (laughs) I I still am angry about that. And to me, like doing it on Thanksgiving, you can kind of pick and choose whenever you can, you can work your meal around the game, right? It's not as big of a deal in my opinion, because 
everyone's watching football anyway, and it's kind of part of the tradition. So I'm cool with it. What I have a big problem with is Sunday or when, when Halloween happens to fall on a Sunday, doing it during trick-or-treating time. That is just a nightmare for people that have kids that want to go trick-or-treating, especially in my case. So uh, that was way worse, and this will be a cupcake compared to that. Yeah, we uh, season ticket holder, I, I and my wife both went to the game. And then came home, got my kid dressed up, and walked around the neighborhood trick-or-treating. It was a long, long day. <laughs> it, was a, it, it was a day and a half. So now as we launch into this conversation, the first thing, and it's just kind of my own, again, we are the pettiest podcast. I have just, I kind of want to get into the mind of a Saints fan for a moment ahead of this game. I want to talk about Mickey Loomis and the NFL salary cap because I've been joking around on this show for years that this, this, this is, he's like the Inspector Gadget. And the NFL salary cap is Dr. Claw, and it's been threatening to get his ass for years. And yet he somehow, whether by accident or whether by design, just manages to slip out of its grasp every single time it seems like the bill is finally going to come due. And he just avoids major disaster, still playing loose and fast with situations that probably should have blown up on everybody. So finally, in an offseason where because of COVID, the, uh, the salary cap dropped. Your team was $100 million over the cap. I figured that this had to be the year of cuts and regression for the Saints. Now, as a fan, was the cap reduction process hard to watch considering how long your team has been in, you know, go for it, quote unquote, mode? You know, I think we were braced for much worse, honestly. Uh, it went much better than expected. Uh, now, obviously, we knew the Saints weren't going to be players in free agency, and we knew that there was going to be a couple players that would walk that the saints would lose that you ideally would want to resign. Uh, certainly Trey Hendrickson was maybe the biggest name, double digit sack guy uh, goes to Cincinnati and he's having a great year in Cincinnati. So uh, that was a tough guy to lose, but you know, otherwise, you know, you had a couple cuts, Jack Rob, Jack rabbit uh, was a tough one. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders was a guy that we would have liked to have kept as fans. Uh, but overall, I don't really feel like they lost that much and they were able to retain a lot of guys and, so, yeah, I think – so. you know what's funny, guys? Is the media for so long and, and the fans, opposing fans, especially Falcons fans, as you can imagine, <laughs> really grabbed on hard to this. But the media just kept telling us, you know, this is all going to blow up in your face eventually. You keep pu- pushing your problems into the future, and eventually it's all going to come to roost, and there's going to be a year where it's all going to blow up in your face, and it's going to be horrible, and you're going to be what everyone likes to dub – salary cap hell so i kept preparing myself for that and look I, i'm not a cap expert i certainly didn't know what that look or felt like because no one really talked about this before the saints and they just kept pushing their problems into the future over and over again and so it's, it's kind of like a pyramid scheme but but mickey <laughs> loomis just keeps doing it and he keeps pushing problems into the future and they never really come and and you're right covid was an accelerator and and this, the one thing that this principle doesn't really account for is the salary cap going backwards, which is exactly what happened with COVID. And I don't want to say I don't want to say it caught the Saints with their pants down, but it forced them to make moves that they otherwise wouldn't have made. And so I, I think that was maybe the tough part. But you know, I, I got to say, sitting here at five and five, and and really, what's responsible for the Saints going from five five and two to five and five is injuries. Well, uh, exactly. They, they, 
No, and that was gonna yeah, be well, my that was gonna be my next question because out of the gate those cuts weren't evident. You guys were were rolling like a well oiled machine. I mean that your shocking yeah. week one blow out of the blow out of the uh, the Packers, and then you have a weird game after that where you lose, and everyone's trying to figure out what you are. But over the next month, you guys racked up some wins. Things looked good on their face, but it feels like as this season wears on, where you're starting to feel the pinch is just a lack of depth that you're able to afford when you don't have a ton of salary. And it's starting to get exposed a little bit in some key areas. What is the overall health of the team at this point? I mean, are there, are there any pain points for the Saints entering this game that you're looking at the injury yeah. situation going, oh, man, this is going to be a problem? It's horrific. I, I can't explain to you guys how horrific um, the injury, especially on the offensive side of the ball, has been. They're missing three out of five starting offensive linemen. Their starting tight end just got hurt. Their $100 million receiver has missed the whole season. Their $75 million running back is out. Their starting quarterback is out for the season. Seven out of 11 offensive starters are out. And so I'm with you. I think on some level, the cap and the lack of depth, that that all plays into it. And yet, what offensive unit could withstand losing seven out of 11 starters? Even with depth, even even with the cap, you know? So... And, oh, and, and, oh, but I'll sure. tell you, one, one of the biggest things has been kicker. Will Lutz, uh, the Saints kicker, has been out for the year with, with uh, a botched surgery. He was supposed to be back uh, a couple weeks ago, and his surgery didn't take, so he had to have it all over again. And I'll tell you, what's way more terrifying than salary cap hell, guys, is kicking hell. Uh, <laughs> that's where the Saints are at. They're now on kicker number four. He's already missed an extra point. Uh, the Saints – have now missed, let's see, uh, I'm doing this from memory. They've missed kicks and going for two included. I believe they've missed six out of their last eight extra points. Uh, so they, they are unable to capitalize on the six-point touch. Basically, every time they score a touchdown, it's two, it's two field goals. I'm looking at the chart right now from footballdb.com. The New Orleans Saints not only have – Chris, how crazy is this? They not only have three kickers. Which, if you have three kickers recording statistics in a single season, something's gone dr- dramatically wrong. They've got three kickers who all are in the basement of the NFL statistics this year for accuracy, field goal percentage. I mean, this is, yeah, th- that's, a, that's a fucking disaster, man. Have you guys tried calling Morton Anderson? <laughs> so it's really funny that you make that joke because Morton Anderson has a podcast. And on his podcast, he says... You know, look, I'm old, but I'd be willing to come back to the Saints, and I guarantee you I can still hit an extra point. <laughs> and it, it's not even a bit anymore. Saints fans, you, if you talk to Saints fans, they'll tell you, I- I'm not even kidding. Like, I'll do it. Well, at, at this point, making an extra – just give me a guy that makes an extra point because the last four guys now have not been able to do that. Any one of our listeners at home right now, if you've ever participated in a pump, pass, and kick competition, I just want you to start tweeting at the Saints. Just tell them, listen, I'm available. Maybe put together a video for them, a little bit of tape. I I think it'd be funny to see. Let's talk about the offense. It's where I want to start this conversation because you're talking about all the injuries on that side of the ball. And I guess... That that is kind of one of the biggest. It's it's the big thing in the room, right? Just injuries and injuries and injuries. The offensive line situation is going to be the, probably the thing I'm most attuned to in the run up to this game when I'm looking at the injury reports. Because as the Bills have learned thus far through the 2021 season, if you have a crappy offensive line, 
it pretty much grounds whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. It really it makes conducting any sort of an offense, regardless of what it is you're trying to trying to accomplish, difficult. And the fact that again, you guys just squeaked out a win, right, a week ago against the Titans. You or no, you lost, but it was a close one. And I'm just thinking about this. You're still in these games despite these injuries, and I'm interested about that. So it starts for me at quarterback. And I, I kind of draw some parallels. And Chris, you know, you being kind of the football layman here, see if this makes sense to you. In 2020, the New England Patriots, their Hall of Fame quarterback leaves, not for retirement like Drew Brees did, but he goes to Tampa Bay. And New England says, it's going to be okay. We have we still have a great coach who's probably a Hall of Fame talent. Well, they know there's guys as a Hall of Fame talent, but we think the Saints' Sean Payton's probably in that same realm of a guy who you would say, eh, I'd give him one. He got a ring. He's been his offenses have always been good. They get through this season and they say, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to plug in a new quarterback. It's going to be fine. This guy's younger. He's more athletic. We can run a different style of offense with him at the helm. They thought that they had found a stopgap solution to pick right up where they left off. But things quickly went to shit for the New England Patriots last year. And I feel like things are going that way for you, albeit not of any fault of Jameis Winston or anybody else's. And he was the starter. And who would have thought that getting him LASIK surgery would have been the key to making him look like a real NFL quarterback, right? Like, out of all the uh, all the boob jobs and stuff flying around in South Florida, there you can't get this guy LASIK, and then he just stops throwing thirty interceptions a year. I don't understand. Well, I mean, the LASIK probably helped a bit. You know, I, there there was definitely a transformation with Jameis just in terms of everything. He, his body composition changed completely. He got married. He had a kid. He went fully vegan. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there was a commitment to the craft and just a it, life is all about timing. And I, I just think when he was at Tampa, I question how much of a football player he was 100 percent of the time. He was definitely a football player on Sundays. He was probably at most practices a football player. But I think the difference is the 365, 24-7 commitment to being a football player. That That's Jameis now. Uh, and that's, I think, why you've seen a tremendous amount of growth. And certainly LASIK might, might be a factor as well. Uh, but, but uh, you know, his injury was tough. It was tough because I feel like we were just really starting to scratch the surface of what he could be in this offense, uh, what this offense could be with him. Uh, he was having a tremendous amount of efficiency, uh, but the offense was still kind of tr- struggling to find their identity. And so, obviously, that that identity is very much a moving target now with Trevor Simeon at quarterback. And, uh, you know, that's really one thing started to go to shit, obviously was, you know, they, they've basically been zero three in the three games that Simeon has started. Well, and that's not, uh, no one should be shocked by that. I mean, when you looked at the quarterbacks who you guys had at your disposal, you had Jameis Winston who started the season five and two, but at a 59% completion percentage, which I think almost underscores that not only, Situationally, he could make big plays. He wasn't always the most accurate quarterback, but he didn't have to be. You know, if you can float right around sixty percent and hit a hit a big throw once in a while, that's going to be enough for most teams, especially teams playing average to slightly above average defense. Uh, 
Taysom Hill, <laughs> the newly extended Taysom Hill. Remember when, <laughs> like, do you remember when Sean Payton spent the whole training camp just being coy about whether or not he would let, uh, who I like to call Tim Tebow without the college ring, officially run the offense? I mean, he spent months gaslighting everybody that this was going to be Taysom Hill's team. And it was like, wait a minute. Sure, of course, we all want to say Jameis Winston's going to step in and take it. But when it finally happened and they said Taysom Hill wasn't going to do it, you said, okay, that makes sense. They went with the more experienced guy. And then they completely bypassed him. I mean, he only has seven passes on the year. They completely bypass him for Trevor Simeon. And that surprises me. I mean, because when I think of Trevor Simeon, all I can think about is those disastrous few years with the Broncos where they thought he was, quote unquote, the answer. And the only thing he turned out to be the answer to is the question of who can make us think Drew Locke is actually an upgrade. Like, that's all he was the answer to. I didn't think we'd ever see him starting for an NFL franchise again. And now here we are. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. No, well, I think there's a big part of this story that I think is missed. And uh, and a lot of this is, again, the Saints just being very close to the vest with a lot of information that they don't leak. Uh, but my under so Taysom Hill had a very significant concussion uh, right after James Winston, the sa- same game actually that James Winston went out. Uh, and when he came back from that concussion, uh, he was put on a play count. And because the concussion was so severe, and at the time that wasn't public knowledge, uh, the broadcast booth leaked that information during their broadcast. And that was the only time it was never on Twitter. Sean Payton never said anything. The local media never picked it up. The national media never picked it up. And so it was just kind of information that was leaked to the broadcast team. And they shared it on their broadcast, you know, and it was literally just a five second bit. But, you know, obviously if a guy's on a pitch count, if he's on a play count, then he can't be the starting quarterback because the starting quarterback touches the ball in every play. So, um, yeah, I, I think, Part of the reason why you're seeing Trevor Simeon at quarterback right now has nothing to do with gaslighting or the fact that Taysom Hill can't be the quarterback or that they don't believe in him. It's simply that he's not healthy enough to play. And uh, more recently, Taysom Hill has a foot injury. Uh, He did not play most recently in this past game against the Eagles. So it remains to be seen if he can even play against Buffalo on Thursday. Uh, This new contract makes me think the timing of it's interesting. It makes me think Maybe they are ready to hand, hand the reins to him and start him at quarterback on Thursday. Uh, so we'll have to see. I, all of a sudden, I'm a little – it leaves me wondering. I'll put it to you that way. Who, who's going to start? But the thing about Taysom, and I, I think this is important for people to remember, is he has scored 21 touchdowns in the last three and a half seasons. He's yeah. been in the end zone 21 times. And uh, I think that's what people are quick to dismiss. I, I hear you on the Tebow stuff. I hear you on – I don't think he's QB1 material. I just don't think he processes defense as well enough. I don't think the arm talent is there. I mean, he, he can rifle a ball, but I just I don't think he has the ability pre-snap uh, to, to read a defense and, and to do what's necessary at that position. But uh, the 21 touchdowns speak for themselves, and he certainly is a weapon. And I do think the four games that he started last year proved that he is a backup quality guy. Uh, so I don't think he's a starter, but I do think he's good enough to be a backup in this league. And then on top of that, uh, he's a tremendous red zone threat that get, that gives you the ability to cash in on touchdowns. Uh, and that's a huge that that's the difference when you when you're scoring touchdowns instead of field goals. 
that's the name of the game in the NFL. That's the difference between wins and losses. So uh, I, I actually think his value to the Saints is understated. Oh, no, no, I would completely agree. Because when you look at what you guys have done, I'm looking at Simeon at quarterback. He's now 0-3. Uh, he's, yep. he's got the highest completion percentage of anybody to throw passes for New Orleans this season, but that's not saying much. I, I guess it doesn't surprise me. Here's one thing that I do find interesting about Simeon, and it, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic can shift and what the shape of your offense looks like if Taysom Hill actually does get the start at quarterback. You guys have this going for you. There's at least three different players, including a running back, with more than 45 uh, receiving yards per game when he's playing. Like, six players, they distribute the ball. Like, six players having more than 45 yards is noteworthy. Because what that shows is there's a real distribution of the ball in this offense, which has kind of been a staple of what Sean Payton's tried to do in his time in the NFL. He's built, like, the college-style air raid spread offense, and then he just doesn't incorporate a lot of deep shots. It's a lot of just, okay, we're going to spread you horizontally and then work you... Yeah, on a lot of slants, a lot of crossers, a lot of you, your athletes won't be as good as our athletes and we'll find a mismatch somewhere. He's got eight passes of 20 or more yards between his uh, between his starts with an average depth of target of more than nine yards downfield, which tells me that he's a willing trigger man. He's not just playing it safe, which I think a lot of people would assume if a backup quarterback was going to come in and do, you'd see a lot of Mike White type stuff. You'd see a lot of Mac Jones type stuff. He's again, and I, maybe this is just he's a veteran and he's been there before. He's willing to let it fly, and the results are that you get this offense that, for, well, it's not setting the world on fire, and it hasn't been good enough to win the games that they've played over the last couple of weeks. They do have a presence when they just dis- they can distribute the ball really well, and they can work the intermediate areas of the field really well, and that's interesting to me coming up against a team like Buffalo where. We pride ourselves on our secondary. At the same time, the last couple of weeks that hasn't mattered. We've been we've watched our team get bullied a little bit. We've been out toughed by some people, and so I'm I'm curious just to get your thoughts as far as how you see whichever one of these guys shapes up being able to orchestrate that same type of attack. Because I'm looking at the numbers right now, pocket time. Trevor Simeon actually has had the least amount of pocket time of any New Orleans passer this year at 1.9 seconds, which, as we were talking about before, I think goes back to the offensive line injuries. Pressure being a problem, if Taysom Hill steps into that role, that's probably an issue, but maybe less because of his his athleticism? I mean, do you think maybe that plays a role in some of this? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I have to watch what Philadelphia is doing right now with Jalen Hurts and how effective they were against the Saints and maybe it's recency bias but I, I've watched this offense struggle to move the football struggle to move the chains struggle to really make anything happen for three quarters this is now three weeks in a row uh, that they have failed to really do much of anything until the fourth quarter uh, these last three weeks have been close uh, and, and a lot of that is due to soft I won't call it prevent, but soft defenses that turn a lot less exotic and a lot more vanilla in the fourth quarter when they're up a couple scores. But to Trevor Simeon's credit, that's when he's been putting up his numbers and his stats. He's been torching these kind of soft defenses in the fourth quarter, and the Saints kind of make a furious run. Now, there's one thing the Saints, going into the Eagles game, and the Eagles are kind of a different animal because you don't really see an offense like theirs. They they really run a college football-type offense, and 
you know, you've got two days to prepare for that really in, in terms of practice and film watching and, uh, they're not a pro style offense. And so with their zone reads, you, you have to be in your gaps. You have to be a lot more disciplined and the saints weren't and the Eagles ran all over them. But going into that game, the saints average giving up 3.1 yards per carry number one in the NFL against the run. Uh, and so they are a very good run defense, notwithstanding that, but to see the Eagles kind of chop them up like that, it, it just makes me think about, okay, if the saints offense can become, a, a zone read offense with Taysom Hill where he, he can take the ball in the perimeter. Now it, his concussion has to, in his foot have to be healed enough to where he, he's got to be able to take shots. Um, and I'm talking about him taking hits, but if he's able to do that, then I think this offense, at least with his legs becomes a little bit more difficult to defend because right now you're talking about an offensive line, the camp block, you're talking about receivers that aren't getting any separation and a pocket passer that quite frankly isn't good enough. Well, and you had a funny tweet that I, I can't help but bring to this because I was thinking I'm looking at Elvin Kamara and just how he's essentially your whole offense. 146 rush attempts, 44 targets. That's 190 attempts to, to, to just try to force the offense to run through Kamara. No other player on the roster has more than 30 attempts, and he leads all pass catchers in targets. Callaway's second with 43. Harris has 35. I mean, for comparison's sake, no Bills running back has more than 80 rush attempts. And the Bills' leading pass catchers have 86 targets, 69, 53, and 28 He's <laughs> for a pass heavy offense like Buffalo to know that Elvin Kamara still outpaces some of our like most some of our most popular weapons is eye opening because it shows you what his value to the team is. So you shouldn't be surprised to see them lose a game like they lost last week when he was out. So obviously his health is going to be a huge thing to watch here. You had a tweet. It was about talking about someone tweeted out about Trevor Simeon's catchable pass percentage and how it was fourth in the NFL. And your response was he stands at 57.7% completion. That should tell you how bad this receiver group is. He's putting balls in places they can get, they can go get it with zero separation. So if Trevor Simeon is accomplishing this and the plays still aren't getting made, it, just from your comments you've made here in our short time, it sounds like you're kind of down on this skill position group. What do you think of this matchup of our secondary against this wide receiver group without Michael Thomas? Keeps me up at night. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would rather not talk about it. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, now, listen, it's it's uh, the Saints receiver group is, is bad. I, I would venture to say this is the worst receiver group uh, that I have ever witnessed in my lifetime. And, and I am 40 years old, and I've seen some really bad Saints teams under Ditka. Uh, we won't get into who the best receivers were on those teams, but they were bad. Uh, but look, I, I mean, the number one receiver is Traquan Smith. He was a third-round pick at one point. Um, he's really never lived up to his, his potential. Uh, the number two receiver, Marquez Callaway, he, he was a under undrafted rookie Uh when he entered the league, Deontay Harris, same thing, undrafted guy. So they just have a bunch of nobodies. Little Jordan Humphrey, who caught a pass last week, undrafted. Uh, they tried Kevin White, one of the biggest busts in, in NFL history. Uh, that 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 was short lived. Uh, and the corpse of Kenny Stills, uh, he's still somehow in the league, still collecting checks uh, because the Saints are at that thin at receiver. So, yeah, look, th- this was going to be one of those years where they they had to cut Emmanuel Sanders for cap reasons and. Michael Thomas was supposed to carry this this unit, and uh, he hasn't played all season. He won't play all season, and uh, that that's a significant drop off. 
Uh, on top of that, the, the tight end group is is a, one of the worst rooms in Saints history. Adam Troutman, he's a young player that they just tried to throw into the fire and see, see how he would do this year, and it really hasn't happened for him. Uh, he, he's been a disappointment. He's now injured. I don't know that he plays in this game, uh, and it only gets worse behind him. So uh, no Camara is next-level awful for the Saints because they really have no one else who can make a play. See, now I love the sound of that. I'm actually going to crack a fresh one because I like, and this is the problem. I'm letting you lull me into a false sense of security, just like last week's guest did, where he's like, oh, no, the Colts, like, all we have is this one thing, and it's terrible. And it's like, yeah, well, they took that one thing and literally shoved it down our throats. Like, it was, <laughs> it was an embarrassment of epic proportions. We don't have that one thing. <laughs> right, John, Jonathan Taylor is a pretty big one thing. Yeah, that's, that's true. You know, so I I'm, mean, he really has been maybe the best runner in the league this year. Uh, and, and so, you know, if Kamara was playing and Kamara went off and Kamara was healthy, I would say, sure. You know, there's always a chance that Kamara is going to have him. He, he had that game last year against the Vikings on Christmas where he, uh, I think he scored five touchdowns. Do you guys expect um, so, him to yeah. be out again? Like, is that the consensus or do you expect him to at least be hobbled? Well, the injury report just came out and uh, he, you know, obviously they don't practice today, but they have to give, the media a sense of what it, it potentially looks like had they practiced and he's listed as dnp so he, he did not practice today had they practiced uh you know he, he's been dealing with uh a knee injury he tried to practice last week he practiced on wednesday as limited and then thursday friday he did not practice so that tells me that he tried to go uh maybe suffered a setback uh and we're back to square one so I would be surprised at this point if he plays. So switching sides of the ball before we let you go. And there, there's so much here we could talk about because it's a lot of these games that you guys have been in. It's been your defense. I mean, your defense is still carrying water here. I'm looking at it. You're a top 15 team in turbo, turnover differential, despite all the chaos that's going on in your offensive side of the ball. Four players with three or more sacks, three of them coming from the defensive end room. Top 11 scoring defense in all four quarters. That one is big to me because you overall aggregate scoring defense is one of those things that you hear get thrown out. The Buffalo Bills are one of the best scoring defenses until the Colts come in and take just hit you in the teeth. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm still ranked highly because I had a couple blowout games. Well, when you take individual quarters and you look at them and you say, okay, this one team sucks in the fourth quarter, they suck in the third quarter when games get tight. You guys across the board play a pretty sound level of defense up until this latest the just debacle against the Eagles, Eagles, which I put more on the offense not being able to keep them on the sideline. I think if the offense does more to keep them fresh, maybe that game ends differently. Or at least it's closer. It doesn't look it doesn't look quite as bad. I just I look at what you guys have and I I see like you've got obviously Cam Jordan he is just, he's one of the best front seven players in the NFL. He's up there with the guys like Cam Hayward, you know, these, these longtime NFL guys who are just always sound year in, year out. You know what you're going to get from them. Uh, you, then you got Davin, Davenport, who was drafted recently, uh, DeMario Davis, Capasson, although he missed your last game. Peyton Turner was a guy I liked in the draft, and he got taken two spots ahead of Greg Rousseau, who is right now outperforming uh, Peyton Turner. Here's what I find interesting. Jordan plays 80% of the snaps, over 80%. I think he's up to like 84 or 85% of the snaps at defensive end. 
And then three guys at the position play less than 35. And when I look at the defensive, defensive tackle group, they all play a really low number of snaps. I mean, you get the shy Tuttle. He plays about 46, and he's a run stopper more than a pass rusher. And behind him, nobody's playing more than 30. What... <laughs> What what is going on with your defense? Like personnel usage wise, and just the makeup of your front seven, which seems to be the thing that gives Buffalo the most trouble. What is with this wonky rotation of players? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, David Onyemata is by far the best defensive tackle on the Saints, and he was suspended the first six weeks of the season, and okay. so uh, that that that's why his snap count is low to this point. But you know, now that he's back, he's basically playing nonstop. Okay. Um, yeah. So. The other defensive tackles, I, I think they've just tried to figure out who can play next to Onyemata and be serviceable. They really don't have a second one. Shy Tuttle's probably their best one, who you mentioned. Uh, but at edge, they're a little bit better. Peyton Turner hasn't played much this year because he's also been injured. So add him to the list of <laughs> add add him to the body count. Uh, but uh, you know, Cam Jordan, I would say he's regressed a little bit. Uh, he's not quite the player he used to be. Eighty-four percent of snaps is actually very low for him. He used to be an Iron Man that would refuse to come out and would play every snap. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they've started to rotate him a little bit more. Davenport, I would say, has been by far the best player for them when he's healthy. He's He is a beast. I mean, he reminds me a little bit of Javon Kurse, just in that he's a freak athlete. He should not move that well. He should not be that strong for his size. I mean, it's, it's just a freak thing. And uh, when he's playing his best, he is virtually unblockable. So uh, D- Davenport has four and a half sacks in six games because he's been injured too. So, uh, you know, he, he's been producing at a really high level. Demario Davis at linebacker is uh, certainly one of the team's best players. And, and Lattimore as a cover man obviously is uh, a guy that's reputable around the league. Marcus Williams, the free safety, is as good as it gets. So they, they really do, at each level of the defense, have really good players. Uh, it's a good unit. Uh, they didn't play well against Philadelphia. Two, two, Philadelphia is their kryptonite. This is the second year in a row uh, they've played Philadelphia in Philly, and Jalen Hurts has been able to kind of victimize them. So running quarterbacks do give them a little bit of trouble. And I think going into this game, that's something you look for with Josh Allen's ability. I, I do think he's going to be able to – expose this defense if he tries to run a little bit what's the level of physicality your front seven brings to the table i is this a is this a smash mouth we are gonna you know we're really gonna drop the hammer on your interior offensive line kind of group or is is it a group of guys who basically just eat up space and hope like try to force you to move around them it's definitely the former uh it's a physical physical bunch they really take a lot of pride in stopping the run uh, again, number one in the NFL, 3.1 per carry going into last week. So um, they, they like to play physical. Uh, and it really goes down right down to scouting, what type of players they want. All their defensive ends are 80 pounds. They don't like the quick twitch, smaller defensive ends that you see from Georgia or LSU. They, they don't draft those guys. They want big physical defensive ends that hold the edge, that can play the run. Uh, same with their defensive tackles. They want them to be athletic, but they want them to be stout. They want them to be tough. Uh, all, to be a corner for the Saints, you have to be over six foot. Uh, you have to be close to 200 pounds. They, they like big physical players at all their positions, uh, and that's a big reason why they're so good against the run. Any concern when you look at the statistics that you guys are got? Because I know you've tweeted about it, that uh, Marshall Lattimore, I mean, former defensive rookie of the year over our Trey White. 
Like there, we would, we said there was a case to be made that this was just, you know, bias, big market versus small market bias. But now when I look at this cornerback group and just the DBs as a whole, you've got five starters who are all giving up double digit yards per target. Is Lattimore, I mean, what, Adebo, Adebo and Lattimore have uh, eight touchdowns in coverage allowed, more than 950 total yards between the two of them. It hasn't been a banner year for that unit. When you look at the makeup, I guess I'm thinking in my head, what kind of defense are you guys going to try to employ here? Because the Saints I know are physical in the front seven. They play some man, man defense. Was kind of Marshawn Lattimore's thing coming yeah. out of college. It's what all the elite quarterback yep. cornerbacks do, and I think that's why you give the nod for a rookie of the year honor like that to a Lattimore over a Trey White, who's working in his own type of scheme. The Bills have over the last year, year and a half, proven that against man defenses, you've got guys like Diggs and Sanders who are just very, very difficult to cover. And if you throw in a Cole Beasley who just has a knack for finding the soft spots in coverage, just behind he's settle in behind linebackers and just get catches for days. I mean, it's he's literally gotten us through entire games. Where do you think the best matchup for you guys and the best matchup for Buffalo might lie in terms of DBs on specific players? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with just the personnel and how the Saints approach defense. And so they will give up explosive plays because they trust their cornerbacks to play man press, to cover to cover one-on-one, to leave them on an island. And, and they believe that Paul Sinadibo, who's had a great year as a rookie, and, and Lattimore – are going to hold up more times than not. And so the whole philosophy is stop the run on first down, stop the run on second down, and more times than not, when you get in third and six or more, we're going to get off the field and you're going to have to punt. So that's the whole philosophy. And that's when you're that committed to stopping the run, uh, you run play action on first and 10. And let's say Stefan Diggs is – running a crosser on Lattimore and he's got to cover him going from left to right across the whole field. Uh, A lot of times if the pressure doesn't get there in time, he's going to be pretty open. And so that that's, that's where this defense can be had because of their approach, Uh, especially on early downs, early down in distance where uh, you take a shot downfield and they do have good safeties. Uh, Marcus Williams is, is very good over the top, but uh, if, if you can catch them napping in those situations where they're playing the run and focused on stopping you early downs, you can hit big plays. And they have given up explosive pass plays where they trust Lattimore and Adebo to be sound in coverage. And, you know, look, those guys are good players. And more often than not, they do a good job. But sometimes they don't. And if they're going up against a guy like, let's say, a Diggs that – can beat them one-on-one, then that's where you get exposed. So that's the hole in this defense. So before we let you go, real quick, your your feeling, in, just in terms of a prediction, the Saints against the spread, they're plus four and a half. Your prediction as to whether or not you think the Saints can cover that, and also your prediction how many drinks it takes you to get through this game in one piece. Uh, I'm going to go seven drinks. The over-under is six and a half. I'll take the over on that. Uh, I, I'm very pessimistic about this game. Uh, tough loss in Philly, even more banged up than they were going in. Uh, I'm, I'm pessimistic about Kamara playing. The Saints are missing both of their tackles. Uh, they're missing their quarterback, obviously. I don't even know who's starting at quarterback this week. <laughs> uh, defen- defensively, they're going in the wrong direction. Um, so 
you know, look, I, I think Josh Allen, I know, I know Buffalo has struggled offensively, but I think they'll do enough to score some points and it'll be one of those things where there's no way Trevor Simeon is going to be able to keep up. Uh, and, and, you know, being in the dome in, in new Orleans, it's a good climate. Obviously it's indoors. Um, it, it tends to be higher scoring games in the Superdome. Um, and so I just don't think the Saints will have the ability at all to, to stay with this Buffalo offense. I picked the Bills to win this one 34 to 10. Hot damn. All right. Well, where can people find you on social? And what do you guys got coming up for the Saints happy hour? Yeah, we're actually doing a, a live show on Twitch tonight. So uh, yeah. you should come check us out. Uh, we'll, we'll be. Uh, you know, we're all about the jokes. You know, we're trying to keep it positive. And I, I know I was a little negative on the Saints in this one, but, you know, we, we'll try to focus on the jokes, focus on the next kicker that'll be coming through our walls. I'm sure that'll be – hopefully we'll have a new one before the Bills game. I don't know his name yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're on Twitch tonight. We're called the Saints Happy Hour Podcast. We're on all forms of social media. You can visit our website at saintshappyhour.com. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you want. I'm Andrew Juge. That's J-U-G-E. Uh, and my Twitter handle is at Andrew Juge. Andrew Juge. You can go follow him on Twitter at Andrew Juge. That's J-U-G-E. I love the fact that him and his buddies just get together and booze, but they do it on camera. Chris, we do most of our drinking behind... Although, not well, for long. Yeah, we are. <laughs> oh, folks, pay attention to Twitter. We have a bi- Next week is going to be a big week for the Rock Power Report podcast. Yeah, we have no idea what's coming. We are sitting in front of three cameras right now. So, oh, it's, it's getting close. Chris, is this... Before we close this conversation out, before I dive into the next segment and the final segment of the night, is, is this what you expected when we started this? I didn't think it would get this big where we have cameras and these microphones. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a big thing. It's a great moment for the show. Chris, raise a glass. Or a can of Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Just guys, be following around on Twitter on Friday. That's all I can say. Just just keep your eyes peeled to our Twitter at Rockpub Report. Also make sure you go give Andrew Jude and the Saints Happy Hour podcast to follow. It's Thanksgiving, and in the spirit of having too much of a good thing, I bring you this week's Keys to Victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I have a plate load. First of all, the Bills' interior defensive line performance is going to be paramount to our ability to win this game. When you look at Kamara's rushing numbers, even if he doesn't play, he's like Jonathan Taylor in that he's made a killing between the tackles. I think that that speaks more. Like, Look at this. He has more attempts running in the A-gaps than anywhere else, and his efficiency seems to flow through there as well. Now, 4.2 and 3.5 yards per attempt, 145 yards after contact, two touchdowns, no fumbles when running between the tackles. A big reason for that is Saints center Eric McCoy. He's having a really great season. He's graded well against the run and in pass protection, has no sacks allowed and just one pressure. So what's happening now is that Regardless of who the running back is this week, that's where they're going to try to drive the ball home. If both of their tackles are injured, Chris, it makes sense that they're not going to try to stretch. They're not going to try to get outside the tackle box. No. They're going to continue pounding it between the tackles, which seems to be where we get hammered the worst. That seems to be where most teams have done the damage against us. (sighs) I mean... I guess if there's a silver lining to this, 
the guards on either side of McCoy have not been nearly as proficient. And yet, Sean Payton's found a way to ensure that that can't derail his offense. Considering we don't have an explosive presence at the edge of our defense, the Bills are going to have to find a way between their defensive tackles and linebackers not only to be solid against the run and keep whatever running back suits up at bay, but also exploit the guards in pass protection. Disrupts whoever, again, Chris, when's the last time you went into a game not knowing who's going to play quarterback or running back for your opponent? Jeez, I can't remember. It's If it's Simeon... You need to be able to get in their face. If it's, uh, what's his face? Taysom Hill. If it's Taysom Hill, you need to be able to flush him from the pocket and make him rely on his athleticism more than his ability to stand and deliver. It's going to be on our interior defensive line and our linebacker core between the tackles to make sure that they can bring some disruption to that because that's where this entire offense seems to flow through. I mean, this is almost a game I expect our rotation to look something like God. Uh, I, I expect Star to be activated here in the next day or two. Star, Oliver, Phillips, Vernon Butler, if they haven't made him, just go get a paper route. <laughs> like, just just get the fuck out of here. But maybe this is also a game where you activate an FAO botter or a Boogie Basham and let them take some cracks at the inside of an, an opposing offensive line. I mean, that's why they're here, right? Oh, yeah. I, I feel like there's merit to that. Tyler Bass is a key to this game. The sad reality is the Bills are not a good rushing team. They aren't. And against the Saints front seven that's big, physical, and one of the best run-stopping defenses in the NFL, I don't expect things to get better, specifically in the red zone. This, They're just one of the stingiest rush defenses and also the stingiest red zone defense allowing conversions on just 46% of all red zone possessions, which is third behind Buffalo, at least leading into this past week. Now those numbers are skewed. I have zero doubt that sort of like the Arizona game last season, we're going to not only need our offense to move the ball, but it's going to take some kicks from Bass, maybe even lengthy ones, to ensure that we can consistently put points on the board and put pressure on the opposing offense. Make them continue to launch scoring drives. And if our defense can hold up their end of the bargain for long enough and put enough distance between our team and theirs, enough so that they're forced to rely on whatever subpar backup quarterback is behind the helm of this, that gives us the best chance to win, right? Should. Make these jerk-offs throw the ball to a group of underwhelming receiving targets. On the offensive side of the ball, we have to attack these man concepts with Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, and Stephon Diggs. Gabe Davis is specifically built to thrive against teams who employ these kind of coverages. When you have an Emmanuel Sanders on the outside and you have a Stephon Diggs on the outside, they're going to draw the majority of of the best defensive back attention, whether that's a combination of cornerback and safety, whether it's an opponent who thinks their cornerbacks are so good that they can just one-on-one man up and let's play some physical defense. But you can't put a slot cornerback on a, on a Gabe Davis who's six foot four, 220 pounds and runs the way he does and catches the contested passes that he does. They'll just catch it over the DB. The Jets found that out the hard way. This is the type of game. It's one of the things that we saw in 2020 
It's what I alluded to earlier. The Bills did so much work to beat. Like they had man press coverage beaters built into their offense, and here in 2021, we've struggled because every team, even teams that primarily play man, have instead adopted zone coverages. In fact, we saw in the playoffs last year against Baltimore, Baltimore, instead of playing press man and aggressive coverages, would show you something aggressive and then drop into like, hey, we're going to drop everyone back into a deeper zone. Now your deep crosses, your slants, everything, they're gone. Now you, as a quarterback, have to figure out how to navigate this defense. And you saw teams slow Josh down with that. In this game, I expect that the Saints are going to stick with their tried-and-true man defense. And in that way, you have to have Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, and Stephon Diggs operating at peak efficiency. I think with Gabe Davis specifically has to be a bigger part of this week's game plan. I want to see him up the seam in that intermediate, that 15 to 20 yard area. Maybe just, you know, even if it's up and in, just deep curls from the seam. Something that gives Allen a different look than most people get from us week in and week out. That's how you're going to take the pressure off the outside, outside wide receivers. Because you're giving them leverage on the inside. And then I think the biggest one, Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, and composure. This game has the implications of our entire season on the line. It's a must-win game against one of the NFL's best head coaches, one of the more aggressive front sevens. And for a coaching staff and a quarterback who have been tricked, been bamboozled, just been clowned over the last month or so, it's either bounce back or die in my opinion. In our last podcast, we broke down what it, what feels like a lack of composure by just about everyone on the Bills' sideline. And now, here in this moment, it's on Sean McDermott and Josh Allen, whom all things on this team seem to flow through, to prove that they're capable of bucking these negative trends and pulling the rest of the roster, even if it's begrudgingly, to higher levels of execution along with them. Any failure to do this or any more of the nonsense that we've been seeing from these two over the last month, our postseason odds will be dealt a blow that it's going to be hard to come back from. Just based on the games left, how far back that would put us in the division race, how far back that would put us in our conference. This is it, Chris. Like Dr. Strange said, we're in the end game now. The Bills are running out of time to illustrate that they have the ability to right their collective ships. And as they cling to a postseason berth and relevance in the divisional race, you got to hope that this is the moment, right? This is the 2017 Sean McDermott moment. This is the, you got to hope that this is where good coaching and great quarterback play and just gravitas takes hold. And they say, listen, we know what's necessary. We're going to save our season. This is the moment that they, I feel like we need that, Famous El Pacino speech from Any Given Sunday. I'm, I wouldn't be shocked, Chris, if you told me you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Of course you have. I mean, at this point, I don't even need that. I'd settle for the Blue Tarski speech from Animal House. I mean, guys, this could be the greatest season of our lives. But you're going to let it be the worst. Well, kiss my ass from now on. The Buffalo Bills? We're not going to take this. Sean Payton, he's a dead man. 
Trevor Simeon. Dead. Jones. Dead man. <laughs> uh, hopefully this all ends better than the time the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor. Right? Yeah. Guys, happy Thanksgiving. Fill your bellies and your glasses. And we'll see you on the other side. From our families to yours, I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been your Week 12 Preview. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com